0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, uh, we start off a new series and we're going to be this, I don't know how long we'll be in First Pe- Peter, but we're going to start uh, studying through the book of First Peter. It might be 15 weeks, uh, might be 20, uh, I don't know, might be 2018 when we finish, or maybe after this week we might just switch it up all together, but it's... This is really exciting. It's a book that terrifies me and also encourages me in a great way. Um, so would you open up to 1 Peter? It's a smaller book you'll find towards the end of the Old Te- uh, New Testament. And um, if you've gotten to Revelation, obviously you've gone too far, but it's pretty close just to the left of, of Revelation. And we're going to read just the introduction here, the greeting. Uh, Peter is the, uh, the Apostle Peter. Jesus is uh, one of his closest disciples and also... The leader of of Jesus' disciples after Jesus left the earth, Uh, we see and the most vocal uh, leader of of Jesus' disciples is is Peter, and he writes a letter here uh, to God's people. So let's listen as God's word is being read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We're just going to talk through this this introduction this morning as we kick off this series through 1 Peter. Um, I knew a time would come when I was going to begin talking like an adult. I don't know when that happened for you all. Maybe you remember when that happened for you. And uh, here is how adults talk. Adults say things like, I remember when... Right, uh, adults have history. They have perspective. They have a life to learn from. And I knew someday that I too would have a history. I'd have perspective. I would be able to start a sentence and engage with people, starting with the phrase, "I." It hasn't always been this way. And I find myself saying things like that more often. Do you know what I mean? You catch yourself saying things like that, talking about maybe kids these days. Or the way that things are, and you realize that you have become your parent. You are an adult. That's how adults adults talk. In my 12 plus years of of full time ministry, I've seen an evolution of responses and general sentiment towards uh, being in ministry as a pastor and also to Christianity and what it means to be a Christian in, in American culture. And at the beginning of my ministry, it's, it's interesting, I, I wasn't paying attention at the time, but thinking back on this history, I remember going to conferences early on and, and checking into hotels or going to a restaurant with a, a large group of pastors who were all in town. And obviously that would tip off the, the receptionist or the, serve, the waiter at our table and wonder, what is going on? What are you guys in town for? Is this some sort of conference? And, and someone at the table would say, oh, we're, we're a bunch of pastors from all around the country, and we're here for a conference. And the response was, was respectful, it was cordial, it was almost like the employees were, were really glad that we were in town. And I remember those, those environments and that sentiment was really, it was welcoming. I always felt proud to be a pastor, to be a Christian. And if someone found out that you were a Christian, it was like they were glad that you were around. And I remember a few years after that, being on a plane, striking up a conversation with the lady sitting next to me, and uh, we got to the conversation of what we did for a living, and I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor in Tucson, Arizona, and the tone of her voice kind of dropped a little, and, and she said, oh, oh, good for you, that's, that's really wonderful, we need more people like that, and I knew it was very disingenuous. she didn't mean it, but at least she was putting up with me, it was like a pat on the back and saying, you're adorable, you know, you're a, you're a pastor, that's very sweet, um, and kind of very, you know, somewhat dismissive. And really, I think that today, um, my experience is, is much different. More often than not, the cultural response to Christianity has gone from respect to, to patronizing um, and like a little pat on the head to maybe indifference, like, you know, that's great, that's your thing, this is my thing, and, and I'll, we'll just let you be, uh, to really sometimes an aggressive hostility. And I don't, sometimes I'm worried, sometimes when uh, people ask me what I do, I'm, I'm ready for pushback I'm ready I don't feel as welcomed as I always have I don't know if that's your story or not but if you're a bible believing Christian today this generation of Christians will face something new a reality that being a Christian is not necessarily viewed as a social good but rather increasingly being a Christian and being a bible believing Christian is something that is disruptive to the common good of our culture and our world This introduction and this this explanation has a point, and here's what the point is. Today we begin a a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. The readers of this letter, as they received it from Peter, the author, they they were confused. They were discouraged at their position in the world. They were being further and further pushed out by a culture and a town and a nation that did not want their values and their beliefs. They were increasingly ridiculed. They were increasingly mocked. They were increasingly pushed out to the margins of society. Their values were not welcome. Their views were mocked. Their perspectives were labeled as dumb and stupid. They were being threatened with the loss of honor, relationships, economic position in their world. Being a Christian and holding to a a Christian worldview and a biblical perspective was not welcome and everything that everything was done to make sure that their views were just pushed out they mocked them for trusting in a in a in a in a in somebody who would die on the cross for them they drew pictures of jesus with the head of a of a donkey and called him exactly that and peter responds to them it responds to these Christians who, who are wondering, where's our place in this world? We feel like our values are not respected. We feel pushed out. We feel like when we tell people we're Christians, it only sets us up for, for mocking and uh, being made fun of. And Peter writes this letter, and he found a way. Peter found a way in a culture that was far more wicked than anything that we face today to glorify God and to serve him with integrity and power that led to kings and nations and people to look at the glory of God and to be amazed. Peter found a way to speak to God's people, to give them encouragement and comfort, to lead them to wisdom, to point them to humility, to give them hope when they were confused. And in this greeting, he really introduces the whole letter and the whole content of his letter, of what he hopes to communicate to God's people. And... And it will serve as our introduction uh, in our teaching series, but also as an interview for what we're going to learn uh, for the next several weeks. And so would you study with us? It's a new year. Maybe you have a renewed uh, excitement or energy to get into the Bible and to read and actually craft, uh, carve out a time in your day to read the Bible. Would you study with us? Uh, maybe First Peter is a great book. If, you, if you're thinking, I don't even know where to start, study along with us. Read verse by verse as, we, as week in and week out as we tackle these wonderful passages that will challenge our heart and encourage us. So study along with us. If you're, if you're not a Christian or maybe you're new with us visiting, maybe a family or a family member or friend has invited you to be with us. Um, I want you to know that, that we're honored that you are here. If you don't know Jesus, but you want to know more about, about who He is and what it means to be a Christian, I'm glad that you're here, and we believe that there's no relationship more important, more transformational transformational than that of Jesus Christ. And we open up the Bible each week and learn about what it means to trust in Him and uh, to trust in His grace for how we should be faithful followers to enjoy Him and to honor Him. And so 1 Peter is a traveler's guide. It's a traveler's guide for God's people longing for their forever home. That's, That's my sermon title. It's a traveler's guide for God's people longing for their forever home. It's my longest sermon title that I've ever done. That's my New Year's resolution. Long sermon titles okay so here's what we're going to come to learn in this introduction and these themes for how do we do this how do we engage in culture with hope and humility and wisdom as god's people that's going to be the theme for our time and, and and i'm going to look at three things as he addresses them and i hope that they will stir stir your minds and challenge you and convict you and encourage you and here's the first one is that to be hopeful because of your status if you're feeling that being a Christian has strange moments, it's because Christianity is strange. If you feel that no one understands you or your views are not welcomed, it's because what you believe is just plain odd. It is weird. It is strange. The thing that differentiates Christians from the rest of the world isn't your, our politics. It isn't even our behavior, really. For many people can have, be a great citizen. They could be great people uh, without Jesus. The gospel says that God sent his son to die for sinners and that we are forgiven and we are reconciled to a holy God as unholy people because God's son bled on the cross for our sins. This is very weird. It's very strange. So there is a certain otherness to the gospel. There's something about the gospel that is other. It's in a different category than every other kind of uh, self-help category of how to live and how to grow and how to be a good person. The gospel is just odd in a camp of its own. So to be a Christian is, is to be a social alien, in a sense, due to the fact that you're a Christian. That's what Christians are. We trace the history of God's people all throughout scripture. You'll see some something surprisingly common. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and God said, go from your home. He came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, leave your family, leave your hometown, leave everything that you've known and go be a stranger in a strange land. The Israelites spent 400 years as, as slaves in a land that was not their home as strangers and yet they had to live there and raise their families there and have jobs there. God's people forever since the beginning have found themselves in a, as strangers and yet having to live life in this odd place. And there's many word pictures that the Bible describes God's people as. You know, the family of God, the bride of Christ, the flock of God, but also as exiles. And I want you to know that this is, this is a category that is very helpful for us to understand. If, you're, if you think about what it means to be a Christian, the Christians are, they are counted as exiles, as resident aliens, as strangers on earth. And here's the confusion that Christians face by being exiles. Here's here's the odd thing about being a, a resident alien. For one, you're not a tur- tourist, right? Um, you know the language on planet Earth. You you live in America and you speak English. You you know the language, and so that you're not really a tourist. Uh, you work and earn a living here, right? You you raise a family, you get a paycheck, you you pay taxes. You this is your you live here. You, you have, you've unpacked your bags and your boxes and you've taken up residence. This is where you live. See, tourists can come and they can look like a tourist and they get a pass because they're supposed to be tourists. They're, they're not from here. Tourists are expected to, to not blend in. But we do blend in in the sense that we are part of culture and we live here. But here's the other odd thing. You're not a tourist but you're also not a citizen, the Bible says. You, even though you're here, even though You function in society, you're not expected to remain and stay here forever. Your home is somewhere else. You have neighbors, they enjoy you and you enjoy them, but imagine you had a foreigner, a foreigner as your neighbor. You you, you eat with them, you enjoy them, you tell stories about family, but you go home and you talk to your spouse and say, they're kind of weird, right? They're a little different. There's something odd about them, they don't really... You can tell that they are not from here. Christians should be like that. There's something odd. There should be something culturally different. And The Bible says it's because you're a Christian. Christians are exiles because their identity is so radically changed that they are no longer home in their country of birth. And much of the root problem for Christians they become frustrated and confused when their views are not shared by culture. They forget just. They forget their identity. There is this view that claims this. If we do the right thing, God won't let anything bad happen to us. He'll rescue us from trouble and from suffering. So if we, if we follow God, if we have enough faith, if we trust in Him, if we are like Jesus then we will blend. We will have a good life, a peaceful life. We will be free from pain and free from sorrow from the world. They will like us and receive us, and we will be attractive in their eyes. There can actually be nothing more further from the truth for the Christian. God often, God's best, have often suffered the worst that the world has to offer. And people confused by the Christian beliefs, we should not be surprised. You see, when a Christian follows Jesus and has has their allegiance to him and reads the Bible and does what it says, and then we go out into the world and then someone says, that's ridiculous. Why are you surprised? So if if you're a Christian and I'm speaking to you, why are you so shocked that the world doesn't get you? When someone puts this anti-Christian rant on Facebook, why are you blown away? See, in my years of ministry, I've learned something, and this is what I've learned. It's not when people disagree with me that shocks me. It's actually when people actually get what I'm saying. That is just I don't know what to do with. When I talk about the gospel and someone says, I get it, I say, well, there's something wrong with you. I don't know what is going on here. I am, I am, I'm comfortable. We need to be, in a sense, comfortable with that opposition. It's normal. We're weird. We're aliens. We're exiles. We're strangers in a strange land. Jesus sat down with his disciples the night before he was betrayed and crucified, and he sat with them, and before he prayed to the Father for them, he says, guys, I want you to know that the world will hate you because of me. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he dies on the cross and is buried and raises from the dead. And then Peter goes out and preaches his first sermon. And 3,000 people are converted right then and the church, as we know it, is born. The world will hate you, Jesus says. Ask yourself this question and then reread the Bible, okay? That's your, that's, your, that's your homework for this week. Ask this question and then go read the whole Bible. Here's the question What can Christians come to expect in this world? Rejection, confusion, misunderstanding, frustration, suffering for their beliefs. You will see those themes. We should not be surprised. Jesus himself was not spared from it. Why would we be? And then he prays, Jesus prays after saying this. He says, my father, do not take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. This also means that your life will never find full satisfaction in this life. In this life, as you know it, your life will never find full satisfaction. It's not home. This isn't your forever and permanent home. The show that we like watching a lot uh, that my wife likes and I put up with is The Amazing Race. Uh, it's, it's actually quite fun. It's a, it's a, it's a race, around the world of all these couples that are racing for the prize over several weeks in several countries and 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 six continents all but one continent they're all traveling around the world and there's always this one couple that goes to this foreign land and they get a taxi driver and the taxi driver can't understand a word they're saying and this contestant this american contestant becomes furious how could you not understand english why do you not understand what i'm saying and they're just beating up on this taxi driver, this poor taxi driver. And you're just thinking, come on, man, you're not home. This isn't your country. Why are you shocked that they don't understand? And that's what it's like for the Christian. Do you become frustrated with uh, uh, cultural norms? Are you becoming frustrated with your views as they are uh, mocked and ridiculed? Are you becoming frustrated when people don't understand your worldview if you know and love Jesus. Jesus told us that our allegiance to him will put us on a collision course with the values of culture. This world doesn't seem to fit for Christians. And so the hope for the Christian is not that the world, not the hope for the Christian is not in this world or in this life or in this decade, but we are on a journey and we will never understand the world around you until we understand that that we are pilgrims, that we are resident aliens, that we are on a journey to our forever home. And yet God has placed us here, and He knows the future because He's created the future. He knows our circumstances because He's led us into these circumstances. He is sovereign over it. Peter says it's the elect exiles. And then he says this is because of the foreknowledge of God. This is for the sanctification through the Spirit. This is for your obedience in Jesus. He says, I've placed you here. The Bible even says that God in His sovereign love and power and knowledge placed His people in slavery in Egypt. He did that to spare them from the famine and disease going on in Canaan. They weren't ready for that home yet. And God is saying, Peter is saying to these people who find themselves in a similar situation that we find ourselves in today, God, in His fatherly love, is not only present with you, but He has ordained your circumstances for His glory and your joy. This, isn't, this is not meant to make you feel good. This is not meant to make your life full and satisfied. This life is not meant to meet all your needs. And so it's okay that you feel a little strange in there. Another thing that Peter wants us to, to, to know in his letter is that we should be humbled Because of our privilege. Peter wants these confused Christians uh, and these worried Christians to know something. And therefore he wants us to know something as we journey through this book together. That the triune God has made an abundant investment in you. That God has made an abundant investment in you. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of His blood. He's saying God in all of His... And all of his identity is investing in you in a profound and real way. Do you see that? Do you see that, that God the Father chose you? That God the Spirit sanctifies you to be more and more like Jesus? That God the Son has atoned for your sins and died on the cross for you and forgiven you and reconciled you to the Father because of his work on the cross? Do you see that? The Bible tells us that we were made for fellowship with God that we are restless with, without this and until we find this fellowship with Him. And what is implied here is that the circumstances we find ourselves in as exiles and resident aliens in a, in a culture that is hostile to Christians has come to be through the, through the loving plans of God our Father for the purpose of our sanctification and the, and the honor of Jesus as we become more and more like Him. Pretty amazing. This was meant to comfort his readers. Peter's writing to them, and he's he's telling us, God God has an investment in you. Be comforted that he has taken such uh, investment in you, that you are privileged, that you are the privileged people of God. And he almost rhetorically wants to ask them and, and ask us this question, what do you believe God is sovereign over? Is he sovereign over your suffering? over your suffering of our country and the brokenness of our world? Is he sovereign over that? Is he sovereign over sickness and, and the success of wicked people? Is he sovereign over that? Does God know? Does he know because he has foreknown and does he foreknow because he has foreordained? Is God involved in this? Do you believe that he is? Is God in control? Peter not only thinks so, his whole joy is based on that fact his whole joy and his whole encouragement to God's people who are, who are suffering is that, do you believe that God is in control? He's loved you. He has pursued you and initiated with you when you did not know him. He has taken you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light, as he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He has, he has, you were not a people. You were not citizens of anywhere, but now you, he is your God and he has made you a citizen of his heavenly kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are not worthy of this privilege, but He has given it to you by His grace? Do you believe that He's with you now through the work of the Holy Spirit? He's encouraging you and strengthening you. Do you believe that these circumstances have come so that you can be made more and more like Jesus? That you can learn obedience? And through learning obedience, you would receive the life that He has given you. Do you believe those things? When the Lord is behind everything, Everything changes. When the Lord is behind everything, it changes everything. God's sovereign hand governing and sustaining all of life was the lens through which Peter looked at, looked through as he wrote this letter. Everything that happens to us and happens to our world, we must see through this lens that the Lord is behind everything. And so Peter is writing and he says, Hi everybody, I'm Peter. I want to talk to the elect. I want to talk to God's people. I want to talk to God's elect, those who've chosen before the foundations of the world. He gets their attention and he's reminding them of who they are and the privilege that they have. And he says, that's right. God has chosen you. He has been not only active and present in your life, but has orchestrated the circumstances of your life in order to bring about the good purposes he has for you today and tomorrow. How could we forget? God has not forgotten us. He has a a future for us. He has a present joy for us to have. He knows the future because He's created it. And I think this was meant to take our eyes off of our circumstances and uh, take our eyes off of the earth and cast them upwards to heaven. And we see Christ, we see God as a loving Father pouring out His abundant blessing and affection for us. So you may have heard this before that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So these people are coming to Peter, maybe, and they're challenged, they're frustrated, they're looking at their life, and they're saying, "No one understands us. No one cares for us. They're pushing us out of society. The Christian worldview is 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 disappearing. Look at the culture." And Peter's saying, "Would you look up for a second? Would you see God on the throne?" Would you see him as Lord of your life, as a loving father who cares for you? So he's inviting us to be humble, to not think so much of ourselves and our circumstance, but see him. And then in seeing him for who he is, then we are able to then look at our life through a lens where he is in control of it all. Peter believed in God's election, that God elected people into salvation. This was Peter's belief. Not based on any merit of his own, but solely on the grace of God. Peter loved the grace of God. He loved the grace of God so much. Do you love the grace of God? Do you understand the grace of God, that he loves us? Not based on any merit, not based on any foreseen good that we might accomplish down the road. That he loves us because he loves us. Because it is his pleasure to love us. Grace for Peter. Think about Peter or what you know about him. This was not a buzzword for him. He didn't come to know grace through uh, through reading scripture and theology. Through oh, that's a great through reading commentaries and saying grace. That's awesome. Yeah, you know what? That's going to be my motive this year. Is grace. It wasn't a formula for Christianity. What do you know about Peter? Peter was a disciple of Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied him three times. He said, "I don't know him." I'm not his disciple, I'm not with him, that's a stranger to me, your guess is as good as mine. At Jesus' greatest need, Jesus said, I don't know you. At Jesus' most vulnerable moment in his life, he betrayed him. And Peter repented of his, he repented through his tears He was forgiven and received forgiveness of God. He knew the depths of his sin and of his rebellion, and he knew the abundance of God's grace and forgiveness. He understood the perfection of Jesus' offer to trust in him. Peter loved the grace of God. He did not deserve it, and he knew that so well. Peter knew so well, maybe as good as anybody or better than anybody at that time, that he did not deserve the grace of God. There was nothing special about him. He was often very quick to speak and said many many ignorant things. He often got it very wrong. When Jesus would say, what do you think this means? He would be the first to jump out and say something, and Jesus was like, no, that's not right. (laughs) He got it wrong so much. He knows the grace of God. He would become the leader of Jesus' disciples. He would become the start of the church as we know it. He would preach the first sermon after Jesus' ascension and the power of the Holy Spirit would work through him to forgive the hearers. He knew that he did not deserve this. There were many more more, uh, qualified candidates if you're looking at people who are qualified as good people to be the leader of the church than Peter. Do you know that you're loved like that? Think about this. The basis of God's love for us is in verse 2, the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. Jesus was the, the ultimate exile. He was the ultimate stranger in a strained land who did not see equality with God, something to hold on to, but emptied himself by becoming a man humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus became an exile so that we could be welcomed home. And he knew it. And only when we see him dying on that cross and dying our death on the cross can we truly experience peace in this world where we see that the privilege that we have is, as recipients of his affection and his grace. Can we truly have this peace that he's offered to us in this world. Peter saw this. He denied Christ, and he saw Jesus then dying on the cross. How would you feel? Realizing in that moment that you just absolutely blew it. And even that he's up on that cross because of what you did. I imagine that's how Peter felt. Because you know why? Because it was true. And the truth is, he actually hangs on that cross for everything that you and I have done too. And unless we see Him on the cross and say, I need that blood to wash over my sins, to forgive me. I need that. There's nothing I can do. Until we cry out for that and know that, can we really then go into our world with, with, with hope and humility and wisdom and grace towards others? And that's where Peter then goes next into this last thing in our introduction is to be wise because of your responsibility. See, we are, we are hopeful because of our status. This isn't our forever home. We are humble because of our privilege and the grace of God that he's given to us. But we also need to be wise because of our responsibility. What is our responsibility? Well, 1 Peter is the perfect guidance for those who wish to engage in a world and a culture with the, where there is uncertain times. And I think that's we find ourselves in that time today. It holds this hopeful perspective in the midst of two Two things in tension. Here are the two ideas that are in tension throughout the, the book of 1 Peter that we're going to see in, in multiple ways. One, we are simultaneously exiles in this world. Two, we are agents of change within it. These are these two things that are in constant tension as we work through 1 Peter. You're right, you don't belong here, but don't go away. You're right, you're a stranger. You're, you're, you're an exile, but don't exile others. You're an outcast, but don't outcast the world. What he will urge us to be in the church is not just an institution like this this church of great people. He will call us to be a movement, Um, a movement of people engaging in Jesus' mission, to be a witness of the story of the gospel, that Jesus is the hope for the world, that this dysfunctional uh, world and the people who are lost, that the gospel is actually the only hope. So we are meant to engage, not to be isolated, to engage in the world, to bring light where there is darkness, to, to bring hope where there's dysfunction and pain and sorrow, to bring uh, joy and a message of life where there is sin and death in people. And we need help. And so that's why Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Because he says, you're going to need it. Okay, you got a big task. You see your privilege. You see your status. You see the hope. But but don't get too light so you start to float off into heaven. I want to put anchors on your feet and I want to send you into the world and you're going to need my grace and peace abundantly in your life. Why do we need it? Because there's a lot that's going to be expected of us. If you trust Jesus, if you are a Christian, do you know that this is the tension that he calls you into? To recognize yourself as an exile and yet also an agent of change. And hope for the world that increasingly does not know God and increasingly hates Him. They are living as as resident aliens in a place that's not their forever home, but a place in which they must live, they must thrive, they must work, they must go to school, they must shop, they must raise their children in, they must unpack their bags and be home in every sense of that word, of living their life. And you cannot and should not disappear. You you should not disconnect. You should not create a a, a community that is impenetrable from the outside world. You should not be isolated from sinners. You should not move to Canada if the president does something you don't like, as many times as you threaten it. You should stay and live as God's people, engaged in God's mission, with allegiance to Jesus, to love Him and to love your neighbor. That's what we're called to do. Christianity is a new way of living in this world with our allegiance to Jesus, yet firmly engaged in the world around us. We are aliens, but we should not alienate the world. So the Christian is called to uphold and promote a biblical view of sexual morality, for instance, while loving those who don't. The Christian is called to live counterculturally as it relates to our money, and yet love and engage with those who don't. The Christian is called to live Countercultural to the way we exercise authority and power and influence, and yet love those who abuse it. If the Bible has truly come down from God and His Word is given to us to show us who He is and what He has done for us, then it will offend us and it will attract us at the same time. If this is God's Word, it will put us in our place, it will tell us who we are, it will offend us to our core, and yet it will attract us where we can't stay away from it. And Christians who understand the Bible, who love God, will also be very offensive in their life, and yet they will be very attractive. But here's the problem. What's the problem? Christians are often one or the other. We're very often very offensive, or we're very attractive. And it's not enough to say, I don't want to push people away with shoving the Bible and this worldview down their throats. I've I've seen it done before, and I don't want to do that again. It's not loving. But my question is, will you, and this is Peter's question, will you stand up to the truth? Will you live out your convictions as you receive them from God? Will you follow Jesus in what he's called you to do? Will you take it on the chin for Christ? Even if it means losing family members, losing neighbors, losing friends, losing your job, will you do what is right and what God has asked you to do? Well, it's also not enough to say truth is truth and I believe the Bible and if you're not with me, you're against me so get out of my way. I'm a Christian. Have you ever loved a sinner like Jesus has loved a sinner? Has a broken person ever come to you and have you ever received them and listened to their pain? Have you ever given a, just a sinner time, food, your home, place to stay? Have you ever sacrificed for people who don't deserve the grace of God, like Jesus did. Has, has, have people ever come to you in their weakness? Would somebody ever come to you in their weakness? Are you the kind of person where a sinner in their weakest moment would come to you and cry to you and ask you for help? If you have never been rejected because of your beliefs, then you are probably you probably lack courage. If you have never won the friendship of someone who doesn't deserve it, you probably lack compassion. What Peter will call us to is the most uncomfortable thing that I think imaginable. He's calling us to be courageous and compassionate. Winning sinners, being attractive, and yet being allegiant, holding and maintaining our allegiance to Jesus who is the Lord and authority in our life. Do you ever get in trouble for what you believe? That's good. You're probably like Jesus. Do you ever have people coming to you who struggle with your sin or their sin? That's good. You're probably like Jesus in that way. But Christianity that is without friction in the culture is a Christianity that has lost its courage. Christianity that is without peace for sinners in a culture is Christianity that's lost its compassion. And this is that difficult tension that we are called into. And that's the test. Here's the test for you as you are receiving this letter from Peter, from God who has given it to us. The test is this. Are are you, can you be compassionate? But also can you be truthful? Can you maintain what is right and true? And it also be attractive to the world. That's the test, I think. You're different from your neighbors. You're loving to your neighbors. And most people have a very difficult time doing both, where they're compassionate and courageous. How can I disagree with people and still love them? That's what I hear a lot today. How can I tell someone that they're wrong and still be a friend? It's possible. And it's actually the most loving thing to do. And God's word is going to help us. We are chosen by grace. Do you know that you're loved by grace, that you did not deserve the privilege of being God's people? And until this reality sits in, you're not able to properly exercise compassion and courage. Until you really know that the privilege you have in Christ is not because of anything good that you've done. And you're freed up. So I can... So I'm okay with Jesus? Yes. So I can believe what he has told me? Absolutely. So even if I am killed and persecuted, I have everything? Yeah, you do. So I can love people who are not good people? Yes, you can. And I'm not going to get in trouble for that? No, you're not. And I can have fun doing it? That's what it means to be a Christian to follow Jesus, to love Him, to be uh, adopted into His family, to be abundant in the riches of His heavenly grace, and then sent into the world to love people like us who are sinners and not deserving of it. Are you ready for that? Do you want a different New Year's resolution? (laughs) I do. (laughs) But this is what I need. This is what we all need. And this is something that I'm excited to start the year with. We are the elect of God to be more like Jesus, to follow Him, to love a world who does not know Him. And we need His grace and His peace because we are back in the world and we're pushed into it, not to leave it, but to serve the world. We're meant to go back into the classrooms, back into the workplaces, back into government buildings, back into in the home, back into to everywhere we go to point people to Jesus, to proclaim the peace wherever there is a loss of peace. We can be incredibly attractive and also incredibly courageous. We must. That's what God calls us to. Our goal is not just to win friends. And our goal is not for the world who does not know God to say, I know a Christian. yeah, it's, And he's awesome. He's so great. He's, he's, he never, he's not like all the other Christians. He's, he never tells me anything that I'm doing wrong is wrong. He's so patient, so forgiving. That's not the point. The point is to be incredibly attractive, incredibly courageous. Not to win friends, not to prove a point, to be sanctified in the Spirit and obedient to Christ. So, here is my hope, and these are three things as we close. My hope for you as we go through 1 Peter and we look at this introduction is this. First is that your hope would be anchored in your relationship to Jesus and His relationship to you. That you would begin this year being reminded of, where is my hope? It's not in this world, it's not in this culture, being a way that is comfortable for me, but my hope is anchored in my relationship with God. And second, my hope is that your grace, that the grace of Jesus would sink so deep in your heart and mind that you can be courageous in your faith without losing compassion, that you would grow in the love and grace of Jesus, knowing that you don't deserve it, so that you can be free to love those who also don't deserve it. This burden lifted off your shoulders. I don't need to prove my point. I don't need to put people in their place. I don't need people to believe what I'm saying. I could be free to love and free to speak and free to show compassion and free to to convince with wisdom. My next hope is that you would engage not only with the world around you in new ways, but also with the Word of God. That you would not get your wisdom anywhere else primarily but the Word of God. Because I know if you're feeling, well, how do I do this? How do I grow? It's going to be from God's Word. It's going to be wrestling with this letter. It's going to be wrestling uh, in our time of private prayer and study. It's going to be wrestling with our journaling and saying, God, I want to be courageous. I want to be compassionate. I don't know how. I feel I'm really bad at this. Help me. Give me wisdom. Teach me how to do this. So my hope is that you would not just engage in the world and go out there and say, okay, I'm going to go do it, but that you'd be anchored in the Word of God. Would you do that with us? Would you read along with us? Would you soak, have your heart and your mind soak in God's scriptures? I pray that it will bring great encouragement to you. Let's pray.